Happy Good Friday, friends. Thank you so much for joining us for this Good Friday service. Before we get really too far into this, I want to invite you to set up your space. You're going to need your rock and you're going to need your communion elements. I just have a teddy gram and some grape juice, but whatever you have to use, go ahead. This is just symbolic. And you're going to need all of these within arm's reach for our services. We're going to be taking communion together in a few moments. Once you have that all set up, I want to invite you to grab your rock and hold on to it in the same hand until I tell you otherwise. Have you ever pondered why today is called Good Friday? We have the privilege of looking at today in light of the resurrection. We have the privilege of looking at today in light of the end. But for those that were present at the cross, this wasn't their reality. Today was a day of betrayal. Today was a day of torture. Today was a day of death. And still, in light of the end of this story, we do have the privilege of calling today good because we know of the freedom and the hope and the life that we find in today. Well, you have a rock in your hand. I want you to just take a moment to ponder this rock, the weight of it, the grit against your skin, the feel, and you're just going to continue to hold on to this rock as I recount the events of this Friday for us from Matthew 27. We're going to begin at verse 11. Well, we know from this text that Jesus was arrested and he stood trial before the religious leaders of the day. He was mocked, he was falsely accused, he was beaten. And that kind of all began on Thursday night when Judas led the army into the garden and continued right through Friday morning. And finally, the leaders bring Jesus before the governor, before Pilate in verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Jesus stood before his accusers silent. He didn't defend himself. He didn't respond to all these false accusations. He just stood. Verse 14 tells us, But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, at the Passover festival, there was a tradition where Pilate would offer one of two criminals to be exonerated and the other one to be executed. And in keeping with this tradition, Pilate offers the crowd a choice. Do they want to free Barabbas, the equivalent today of a terrorist? Or do they want to free Jesus? And the crowd chooses Barabbas. In verse 22, Pilate asks, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And Pilate recognizes this moment for what it is, and he recognizes this man for who he is, innocent of all the charges that he is accused of. And he literally and figuratively washes his hands of this choice. But still, in keeping with the tradition, in keeping with what the crowd is asking for, he hands Jesus over to be flogged and crucified. Now, 
And Jesus is ridiculed. He's stripped of his clothing. And in all of the mockery that the soldiers can can conjure for this moment, they put a scarlet robe around him as if he were royalty and a crown of thorns. And they belittle him as they kneel and mock him as king of the Jews before turning with their fists and their staffs to beat him. When they were finished with the beating and the flogging, the grueling trek to Golgotha begins. You see, the criminals in their weakened state from these floggings were still expected to carry their cross to Golgotha. They were expected to carry the means of their execution to the place of their death. And Jesus, so exhausted from the previous torment, was unable to do so. And in Matthew 27, it tells us that Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry his cross for him. We're going to pick up in verse 35. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those who were standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. If you have any doubt that Jesus loves you, that God wants a relationship with you, you only need to look to the events of that day. Because the answer and the fact that Jesus endured the torture and the mockery and the false accusations and death is answer enough that, yes, friend, God loves you. And yes, God desires a relationship with you. Jesus endured that day. He endured the ridicule and the beatings and the cross because of his great love for you. You see, the reality is that we have all done wrong things, have broken the relationship with God. Sin has been part of humanity since Adam and Eve chose to believe the lies in the Garden of Eden. And because of that sin nature, we have been looking for a redeemer and for redemption since that day. 
And still, our brokenness is a part of us. Still, our brokenness and this sin nature longs and vies to be first in our life. It's kind of like this rock. When you first picked up this rock, it was probably uncomfortable. There's some weight to it. It is. It's gritty in your hand. It's rough against your skin. And those initial choices that we take to defy the will of God in the way that he would say we should live and to choose our own way is kind of like that. It's heavy. It doesn't quite feel right. Still, the longer we carry it around, the longer we allow it to be part of us. It's funny, isn't it? How quickly you can forget that you're really holding on to it. How it kind of warms up in your hand. And just like sin, the longer that we continue down that path, the more comfortable it becomes, the more we are so quick to justify it as being part of who we are. We begin to hear the voice of God less and less as we listen more and more to the lies of temptation and brokenness to sin. And we can so quickly justify it and be like that crowd, even though they knew who was the better choice to be part of their community, they still chose the terrorist over the innocent. And we can be like that when we carry our sin for too long, choosing that which we know will harm us over that which is health and wholeness. No matter where you are in your faith journey, whether you're exploring faith in Jesus or you've believed in him for as long as you can remember, we still have to deal with our sin. In fact, I would argue that it can get harder and harder to recognize the rocks in our hand because they become a little more nuanced, less and less obvious. And where perhaps we would begin with sin that was so easily identifiable, now we have to deal with the intangible things, pride, wrath, control. And unless we're regularly asking the Holy Spirit to search us, to tell us what rocks we're holding onto, we might walk around not even knowing that we're holding it at all too blind to the fact of giving in to something for far too long. And still, Jesus went to the cross for all of our sin, for the ones that are easily identifiable and the ones that are a little more nuanced. He went to the cross so that we wouldn't have to hold rocks. Eventually, if you hold this rock long enough, it's going to get heavy. There's going to come a point where your arm is just fatigued and it no longer is unnoticeable. It's no longer just warm and easy in your hand, but it becomes a burden to carry. And sin is like that. That's why I'm so thankful that Jesus offers us second and third and fourth and fifth chances. We are never too far gone. He's always willing to accept the rocks in our hand. In 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verses 14 to 15, it says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he, Jesus, 
died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Friends, we've been saved for a life that's greater than this. Sin, the rocks in my hand, is me deciding that my life is most important, my feelings are most important, my desires are most important. And that always pits us against God. The truth is, is that he knows exactly how you will thrive. He knows exactly how you can have a relationship with people that's healthy and whole, how you can have a relationship with him that's healthy and whole. And he invites us to lay down our rocks once again at the cross. What rock is in your hand? What sin do you need to lay down? Maybe because it's just become too heavy to bear. Or maybe because it's too comfortable. This is the beauty of the cross. Ahead of the cross, Jesus was already preparing his friends for what was going to come. That he was going to trade his life for ours. And that in this act of becoming our sacrifice, he would free us from the consequences of sin of the rocks in our hands. He wants to free you from whatever weight you're carrying. And isn't it amazing how in light of once again hearing what Jesus went through on the cross that that rock feels a little heavier, that sin just a little harder to bear in light of the great love and mercy of Jesus. Friends, our rocks don't belong in our hands. They belong sacrificed to the cross. That's where they belong. What are you holding on to? What do you need to lay down and let go of? I want to ask you to just ponder that for a moment. And when you're ready to lay down the rock in your hand at the foot of the cross, would you symbolically right now just put it down on your table and replace it with the elements of communion. In Luke 22, verses 19 to 20, it says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus' body broken instead of ours, broken for ours. Let's partake together. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you the blood that meant forgiveness of sins, freely given. This, friends, is the love of God. Let's partake together. We could stop here, but the day wasn't over yet. and Something incredible was about to happen. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. 
and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Before the cross, not only do we have temporary forgiveness of sins when a sacrifice was offered, but we experienced it secondhand. You see, you had to go and travel to the temple. You had to go through a priest to have that sacrifice accepted by God. And in the temple, there was a thick curtain that separated the holy of holies, where the presence of God was from all the rest of the temple and from all the rest of humanity. Only the high priest at specific times of the year and after a set ritual given by God could enter the holy holies, holy of holies. And if that specific time wasn't followed or that checklist wasn't done correctly, then the broken humanity of that priest just couldn't exist in the glorious perfection of God and he would die. So not only in this moment did Jesus become our perfect sacrifice, our permanent sacrifice, but he eliminated all of the ceremony and ritual and rite of coming before God. For the first time since Eden, humanity could freely come and have relationship with Almighty God. This is huge, friends. Through Jesus, we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. We are welcomed into the presence of God. Yet how many times do we operate as if there's still a curtain? And we think that we need to have some sort of formula to come before God. Or maybe we are so afraid or full of shame that we just kind of walk in with fear and trepidation, waiting for the glorious perfection of God to smite us. Friends, on the cross, Jesus gave us access to God. Not so that we could linger on the edges in shame, not wanting to burden him with our requests, but that we could come freely as sons and daughters, that we could come freely in all of the knowledge that we are loved and forgiven. This is the good of Friday, friends, that God loved us enough for Jesus to come as a human, to be our atoning sacrifice, to trade his life for ours that we wouldn't have to carry the heaviness of sin anymore and so that we wouldn't have to experience separation from God any longer. Before we close, I want to ask you, what rock is in your hand? What do you need to lay down before the foot of the cross? And I also want to ask you, is there something that you've put in your life as that curtain that keeps you from walking freely into a relationship with God? And we're going to take a few moments just to ponder those two things. 
What's your rock and what's your curtain before we close in prayer? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the events of Good Friday. I thank you that you were and you are our atoning sacrifice. That there is no sin that is too big or too heavy that we cannot bring to the foot of the cross and find forgiveness for. I thank you that there is no sin that we could have carried too long to be too far gone to bring it to the foot of the cross and find forgiveness for. I thank you that you are so rich in love and slow to anger that you welcome us to come and trade death for life, to trade brokenness for wholeness. And I thank you that you allowed us to have a way to have relationship with God. So would you give us the assurance of who you are, the assurance of the finished work of the cross, that this morning we would have the boldness to lay down our rocks, that we would have the boldness to know that there is nothing that separates us from your love and that you desire a relationship with us. Would you help us walk in the freedom of both of those things, that our sins have been forgiven, that there has been access granted to a relationship with Almighty God. We thank you so much for the cross and for the events of this good Friday. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today, friends. We would love to see you back here as we celebrate Easter on Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m.